Welcome back to Resball, where we are back with our draft pod. Jim and I are going to talk about some very good NCAA basketball teams, all of them ranked, but they do not have top NBA draft talent. When you look around draft boards, when you look around draft rankings and sites, why might that be? Let's dive into these really good teams with some guys that haven't been talked about enough. Welcome back, everybody. This week's topic, we are talking about really good NCAA teams, teams that are all ranked, but teams that for one reason or another have questionable NBA draft talent for the 2024 NBA draft. And that's not to say they're bad. It's just when you look at other teams like Kentucky, when you look at other teams like UConn, when you look at other teams that are ranked highly like a Duke always, you know, people will say, oh, they have this guy, they have this guy, you know, even the role players are like this. These teams that are really good, that are ranked, it doesn't seem to be the case. And there's no better team indicative of that than Houston, which is why Houston is going to be the one we kind of lead off with. But before we break down all of that, Jam, let everybody know where they can find you. Hey, everybody. Excited to be back. Um, find all my work at Draft Digest and also my some of my work on Twitter at Jam on the Boards. <laughs> So just to give you a breakdown of what we're going to do here today, we are going to lead off with Houston. Next, we're going to go into Illinois, then Arizona, then we'll finish with Purdue, Memphis, and Wisconsin, just so you all know how this is going to go. And if your team is here, if you want to skip around to those sections, that's how it's going to break down. Let's start off with Houston, though. Houston right now is what happens when I go away from the page then set this up 18 and 2. So Houston Cougars are 18 and 2. As of right now, Houston is the number four team in the nation. We're recording on January 28th. New rankings haven't come out yet. We'll see if that holds up. I mean, they were number one for a long time. It's only when they lost those two games that they fell off a little bit. They're in the running for number one every single week. Yet, I don't think I've seen a single big board with a University of Houston player on it down to like 60. I've even seen some top 100s out there that I have not seen a single University of Houston player on there. Number one, why? Why is a team so good that's consistently up in the running for number one every week, not have a single player consideration in consideration for the 2024 NBA draft class thus far? I think with Houston, honestly, there are two guys we think about long-term prospect that you want to keep an eye on. And those are Terrence Arsenal and Jojo Tugler. I don't think either one of them are ones that you want to draft right now. I think Arsenal, we were talking before we got on here. And I think for a lot of people, scouts and evaluators was hoping this would be the breakout year, taking that sophomore leaf for Arsenal, but it didn't quite happen. Um, there were some flashes, of course, but then I believe it was on December, Torres Achilles. So he'll be out for quite a bit. We'll see how he 
bounces back. Let me know. Hopefully, that's a speed and quick recovery for him. But for him, listed at six foot five, long, rangy, very good athlete. Ideally, fits into that three and D type of mold. Um, but of course, with him, um, could be someone that kind of just plays, but not necessarily fits the three and D role with the three ball. Doesn't come around. Um, it's just it's the, his mechanics and stuff. They've gotten much better. They're more consistent and more smooth. The releases quicker from last year to this year. So he seems a little bit more comfortable. So I do like those strides um, that he's made there. And then although the numbers hasn't really matched that, he's been, I believe, at 28% just shooting at um, under two threes per game. So you want him to take a bigger step there in the small sample that he does have. But it's certainly someone you hope fills that three and D role can potentially guard multiple positions and certainly be a defensive playmaker. What has been kind of your thoughts on Arsenal to start the year? And I guess his, his small years, play what, what, 12, 13 games before getting hurt? Let's see. It was 11 games yeah, before getting hurt. It's, it's a tough sell. If he's not shooting three at six foot five, like 195 is what he's listed at. I don't know how you really sell that player. I was talking to Jam before we started recording too, asking him about if he remembers Arsenal in high school. He played at Beaumont, Beaumont United in Texas. And he was kind of like the power forward center at, at that size because the high school didn't really have big guys. And it was cool to see him run around and he got a lot of blocks. He got a lot of steals. He was definitely a defensive playmaker, no doubt about it. He also really wasn't like the guy all the time there at Beaumont. He scored a lot and they went to him, but especially senior year, they went more to their point guard and other things. So I wonder if that like started to affect Arsenal in changing his role, going from being like the semi big man or really the big man because you don't have anybody else there to being now a guard slash wing where you're not asked to be a weak side rim protector. You're not asked to really be as physical and get down low and you have to do more things out on the perimeter. I think that's partially it. Also, I mean, his shot, it's hard to sell a shot when he shot 52.6% from the free throw line last year and then 52.6% from the free throw line this year. And then the 20, 25% last year and then 28.6% this year. I mean, his shot needs major work, I think. I, I really do like him, though. I mean, I'm probably not selling him at all. I loved watching him in high school. And to me, he reminded me more of Josh Hart because Josh Hart is that physical 6'5", where he rebounds. He does a bunch of different things on defense. But every night, you're like, please, please, please just be okay, three-point shooter. I feel like that's going to be Arsenal. He's going to do all the little things on defense. He'll continue to be aggressive and physical. But every night, you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, are you going to shoot us out of this game? I'm like, please just be one of three, three of six. Just be 33%. That, that's where I'm at with Arsenal. Yeah, definitely. He's certainly someone, if he were to be on the NBA floor right now, teams would be fine with letting him shoot and kind of scheme that way and kind of funnel shots to him as much as possible and playing off of him. Um, but he is a good off-ball move. That's something that he would have to continue, continuously to, uh, to really be cognizant about. And being an impactful cutter, use athleticism, 
to be able to be a finisher, so more of a play finisher, slasher. So it'll be his role. He's, he's done some really interesting things as a passer. Nothing crazy like where you're going to be running pick and roll with him a lot, but with him being able to act on the second side, do be a closeout attacker, drop off, spray out, those type of things. Um, but it'll largely come down to what he can do as a three-point shooter. And then the other guy, do you want to add anything about him before I talk about Tugler for a little? No, man, I want to hear about Tugler because he's the one that I do not know as much about. Yeah, so Tugler, so um, another Texas kid. So with him, it's an undersized big, but he's strong and <laughs> ridiculously long. So he's six foot seven, 230 pounds, and a seven six wingspan uh, reportedly there. And you see his length play out on tape from the high school level, you know, to the grassroots level. And then his limited minutes here at Houston as well, too. Defensive playmaker, someone that is going to be out there with deflections, blocks, steals, switchable as well, too. The big thing for me, the selling point, obviously, for him is kind of alluded to here is led with the defense for sure and what he can do as a defender. Um, but offensively, that's where it kind of gets a little tricky for him. He's still pretty much a back to the basket type of big at six foot seven, two thirty, um, with limited moves there. So he's going to have to be more of an energy big play finisher, that type of thing. He's someone also that shows some interesting things as a passer. Nothing crazy similar to Arsenal, but I, I like what I've seen from him to be able to be a slasher, be able to do uh, drop offs and and spray offs. That's more so on the grassroots and high school level as opposed to right now with Houston so far. But the sell for him is with his incredible defensive tools and him becoming a more impactful play finisher and being able to, I think, really with him being able to find a way to be a play finisher amongst the NBA trees and the athleticism and the length of the NBA clearly has that length, but he still is an undersized big and doesn't have quite the modern tools that you want in ball skills right now. Yeah. He's only playing like 15 minutes per game, something like that. Let me see where I just had it up. 15.8 minutes per game, but his block rate right now is, uh, 10.7. He's blocking 1.2 shots per game in that 15.8 minutes. So it seems like that seven foot six wingspan is put to good use even in limited minutes. And that seems like something that's going to translate. And so one thing I have seen when I've watched Houston a lot is like, oh, who's that that kid? Um, I, I kind of think the running theme with Houston, though, is going to be like Kelvin Sampson has his type of player. I think his type of player isn't always, well, trying to think of the nice way to say this. I think a lot of the things that he likes in order to run a scheme are not where the NBA is going. I mean, look at the big men on this team, Tugler, Francis, and Roberts. They're all, what, like 6'7", maybe 6'8". They're more like movement guys. Roberts has gotten to be a little more of a passer. Maybe they can be a pick and roll dude. But I mean, if you're six seven, six eight, and a big man, the NBA wants you to shoot now. None of these guys can shoot, right? Doesn't that really limit their NBA potential if they're number one, not a lob or finisher, 
They're not a vertical athlete that can really get up there and catch a bunch of lobs. They're not like a really good short roll passer or somebody that can pass out of the block, or they're not like an automatic bucket as a roll man and pick and roll. Doesn't that kind of limit the potential of we'll just lump all the big guys in because they do kind of have that similar skill set that you've had just laid out with Tugler. And when they were recruited there and come there, I think that was the selling point for all of them. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that certainly does for him, especially for him and his type of big right now. He's going to be a four or five at the NBA. Obviously, you hope he plays more of the four than the five there being undersized, but you want him to be that lob threat, that pick and roll guy who can be a just a relentless finisher there. So the hope he does play with um, a good motor and everything. So I think initially for him, it's going to be about running the floor, hitting the offensive glass, doing those things on offense, you know, working the dunker spot and show some decent things when he's able to face up um, as well too. But those are more flashes than anything, at least with Houston. Most of his better tape is certainly on that grassroots level as well. Um, but the hope is that he can eventually be someone that can be a reliable play finisher and give you all the wonderful things that he's doing defensively. Is there anyone up? Go ahead. No, what do you think about Juwan Roberts? Because I really like him, but man, I know, I know it's a really hard sell. It's just that he does all the little things that makes the defense really, really work. Juwan Roberts is listed at six foot seven, two hundred twenty pounds. He is. Kind of their center at times, kind of their power forward. Him and Javier Francis play like four and five. They can start, they start together most games. But Juwan Roberts to me makes a bigger difference with the passing. So Roberts uh, scoring 8.4 points per game, 7.1 rebounds per game, 2.1 assists, 1.1 steals, and then 0.9 blocks. Shooting splits are 56.6% from two. He's only taken one three-pointer, I believe, all season, and he did not make that one three-pointer. And then shooting 55% from the free throw line. Again, like, I just wish you were a lob threat. If you were more of a lob threat, I think it would be a little bit of an easier sell, but he's not. He can pass. He can switch, for sure. And then the shot blocking is okay. It's not fantastic, but I also kind of think playing next to Francis, like Francis is more of the center between the two. They kind of keep him more parked in the paint and he's probably the more natural shot blocker. But again, all this is just like, I want to sell him, but I can't do it. No, I get it. I definitely get it. And like what you were saying, it's the undersized big again here with Houston and with Roberts. I like the emotion, the energy that he brings Fairly skilled. He's crappy um, in the paint as well, too. Pretty good touch that you would think that it could eventually step out to three, but that's not something I would bank on at all. And I think, like you were saying, it just comes down to he doesn't really have the ideal measurables and isn't that lob threat or doesn't have that quick twitch explosive athleticism to kind of compensate for some of the lack of ideal uh, size at the four and the five spot. And it's just nothing for sure, for sure, that he can really hang his hat on on the NBA level. I certainly expect for him to get plenty of inter- interest in summer league. 
being a summer league guy and especially overseas as well, too, but not someone that teams are going to be gung-ho to give an X-10 deal and that type of stuff with. Yeah, this seems like a Tyler Cook or like Reggie Evans back in the day. Tyler Cook's still cooking around or kicking around in the G League, I believe. I know he was on my Pistons for a while and it looked like he could stick, but there's another thing of like, okay, he was smaller. You have to play him at center. He doesn't really pass. And then, oh man, we wish he could shoot. That's the reason why he didn't stick around on the Pistons. But he did have a cup of coffee while they were trying to rebuild. So I feel like Francis could get similar looks there because that is kind of the player that he is too, right? With Tyler Cook of just eat glass, get in there, mess things up, work on being a pick and roll finisher. But the selling point for any draft, like real possible 2024 draftable guys on this Houston squad are the guards, right? And it starts with LJ Cryer. LJ Cryer transfers over from Baylor after winning a title over there. He was kind of like the third guard, second guard, dependent on the night. And then really comes into the Marcus Sasser role this year. LJ Cryer is scoring 15.2 points per game, pulling in 2.7 rebounds per game, dishing out 1.9 assists, grabbing 1.2 steals, and then 0.1 blocks per game. LJ Cryer shooting 43.5% from two-point range, 38.7% from three on 7.8 attempts per game, and then 88.2% from the free throw line. I mean, I always hate to give the, the school the same guy from the same school comp, but Marcus Sasser, right? Marcus Sasser wasn't much of a playmaker. He's a really good shooter, very good point of attack defender. I mean, it's, it's the same cell, right? I think that's, if you're a, a big fan of LJ Carr, I think that's kind of what you would hope to try to sell him as. For me, I like Sasha a lot more than I, I did like Cryer. I trust them, Sasha more as a, of a, I guess shooting maybe fairly equal, but I like Sasha better as a defender. And I thought there was a lot more playmaking to work with with Sasha as well, too. With Cryer, I think the sell is certainly born with his shooting and his ability to um, be somewhat of a defensive playmaker. I don't see him being able to kind of, be as good an all-ball defender at the next level as Sasser and point of attack as Sasser. But I think those are some of the things that you're really trying to sell him on, uh, sell him with teams on. Yeah, Cryer's listed at 6'1", 185. And Sasser's like 6'1", 6'2", but he has a 6'7", wingspan, if I remember correctly. That's going to be a big thing for Cryer. Like, he would probably have to be like a Javon Carter-type defender in order for him to really get into draftable range, but he's definitely in consideration for being an undrafted or priority undrafted free agent, in my opinion. I mean, his shooting is ridiculous. He has shot 41.4% across four years in the NCAA, three at Baylor, and then one so far at Houston. 41.4% across all four years at 5.6 attempts per game. And really, this is like Pryor's down year because two seasons ago at Baylor, Pryor shot 46.8% from three on 5.8 attempts per game. Last year, he shot 41.5% on 6.2 attempts per game and then 38.7% this year, again, on those 7.8 attempts per game. And then overall free throw percentage, 84% on 1.7 attempts per game. And really that's dragged down by 64.3% as a freshman on like, very low volume. He only took 14 free throw attempts as a freshman. You got to buy into a shot 
there's not many people that can shoot it like this on that level of volume and still maintain really good percentage 38 and above to me are always like you're a good shooter and if you're taking over seven attempts and still maintaining 38 over 38 percent i mean he probably ends the year 40 percent just because of his track record what we've seen so far yeah he, he's another level of shooter that even at that size i think teams are going to be like let's bring him in because we need somebody like this after that we have emmanuel sharp we have jamal shed and then we have Damien Dunn. Damien Dunn's probably on the outside, but I do want to just mention him because of his Temple career. Did you follow Damien Dunn at all at Temple last year? I did. Like them uh, a, a decent bit at Temple. And just really quick, just a quick question before we dive more to him. Oh, yeah. LJ Cryer, where are you at with him as a defender? Because I think that's certainly going to be key for him. Because I don't see the names that you mentioned with Javon Carter and also uh, Marcus Sasser as well, of course. I don't see him as anywhere near as defender as those two guys. I always saw Kyle Moore as a shooting specialist. So I was kind of just curious, where do you kind of, what kind of level of defender do you see Cryer? Yeah, I like those guys a lot better. That's why I said I think in order to be draftable, he has to be at that level. I don't think he's going to be at that level. But with off-season workouts and you know, tournaments and those things like that, who knows? There's also guys like Patty Mills who've carved out a long role, primarily being that level of flamethrower and being able to play on the ball and off the ball. And then Cryer's lack of playmaking, that's that's probably going to be the biggest question mark in like off-season workouts because really it's Jamal Shedd who's taken the playmaking and then Jawan Roberts has taken some of it too. So that one I kind of hold against him less just because the guys on this team, there's other guys on this team who clearly that's their role. And if you followed Kelvin Sampson and these University of Houston teams for a while, he really does like to delineate like, okay, this is the, the point guard. This is the scoring guard. And I really don't think that LJ Cryer is getting to show like enough of his passing chops. But I also understand like, if you look at the Baylor numbers, I don't think he's ever averaged like 2.1 assists per game. So I think that's probably more the thing. I think it'll be fine enough on defense, but if you really can't play point guard at like an adequate level next to a, a bigger guy like Devin Booker, like a Cade Cunningham, then that probably limits him to G League dude. Oh yeah, no doubt that that makes perfect sense. Next, so we can transition back to Damian Dunn. Um, so he was he is someone that you like at Temple as well. Well, I at least thought he would come in and fill like the secondary scorer because the Temple last year, 15.3 points per game on 45.5% from two-point range, 34.8% from three, and then 81.4% from the free throw line. I mean, like he is a legit scorer, but on this Houston team, I think he's just kind of still figuring out his role and probably still struggling on defense, which is why he's not getting as many touches as before. But if anybody that watched Temple last year, I mean, this guy could blow up for like 30 any night. Um, but it's clear, like, when you come to Houston, defense is a priority, which is something he's obviously worked on. But it really has seemed like sap his scoring ability. So I don't know what to make of it or if anybody really still has a lot of faith in Damian Dunn. But when you were that consistent scorer the last two years at Temple and then come here to go into a really successful team, to work on a clear area of need and concern in his defense 
And then Damien Dunn still remains his same size. Obviously, that doesn't change. 6'5", 165. I don't feel like he's been picked on because that was the one thing that I was like, oh, I feel like Houston's going to really suffer as a result of this guy who is a big-time transfer, obviously, and they're going to give him major minutes. But I really feel like he hasn't done that. So it's a weird combination of things. So we're like, okay, do you really keep the Temple stuff in your mind and want to sell him on that? And then you're like, Oh, he came where he knew he was going to kind of sacrifice. And then, oh, yeah, he worked a lot on defense, even though he's super skinny. It's hard for me to know what to really think of Damien Dunn. Yeah, that's certainly fair. You laid out some great points there. And I think really starting with his role, it's a new role for him here. He's playing less minutes, you know, roughly 12 minutes less per game. Here with Houston as well. With Temple, he had the ball in his hands a lot. With him and Khalif Battle going to work. Um, he's also a tough shot maker. I think he's more of a better shot maker than he is a shooter. And that's kind of also something that he will need to show teams that he can be more of. Just a better three-point shooter. He's at 34% on 2.3 attempts per game. Similar. Um, numbers last year, 34% from three as well, but also just on bigger value, four and a half, three point attempts as well, too. So as you were saying, he's a guy that, that was going off for 25, 30, you could do that easily for you at Temple with the volume uh, that he was getting and the usage that he was getting. And of course, in that type of role for him, the path for the NBA is going to have to be him becoming a better defender and then just a, scaled down score, which he has not been able to found that role with Houston right now. So I think he's certainly going to be more on that G League radar. You've seen the summer league as well. Yeah, I believe he has another year of eligibility left. Then it would do wonders to come back because he could be the next guy after Stasser, after LJ Carr to come in and be like the primary scoring guy. So that remains to be seen, but keep Damien Dunn in your mind because he has had some big-time scoring seasons and big-time scoring performances in the past. Next is Emmanuel Sharp. I'm going to keep it with you. I think Emmanuel Sharp has a longer shot in the NBA only because I think everything depends on three-point shooting, right? Uh, Emmanuel Sharp's listed at six foot three, 205 pounds. He is their second leading scorer at University of Houston right now. And if you break down like the shooting percentages, 40% from two, 34.5% from three, it doesn't look that bad. But overall, Emmanuel Sharp's percentage from the entire field is 36.6%, 12.2 points per game. And if you look at Emmanuel Sharp's shot, Emmanuel Sharp shot chart, there's a tongue twister for me. There's a lot of blue in it. He's blue in the mid-range. He's only taken 21 attempts. He's 19% on those. He's only taken 23 attempts in the paint, and he's only made five of those. He's only taken 26 at the rim. That one at least is 73.1%, 19 of 26. And then his main selling point is supposed to be as a three-point shooter, four of 14 from the corners. It's cold, 28.6%. And then above the break, on the entire above the break, left wing, right wing, top of the key, 35.6%. Like nothing really stands out right now with Emmanuel Sharpen. He's a guy when I've watched film, like I know he's there. I know he scores, but... 
I don't see quite the impact like you see with the Roberts, like you see with Shad, who we're going to get to in a minute, like you see with Alger Cryer. Like he's just kind of out there right now. And I just can't see the selling point for him right now. Yeah, not much really to add there. I mean, I think the hopeful role for him eventually is for him to be a three and D guard. I don't see him being a, a shutdown type of guard. But he has been a defensive playmaker so far with 1.6 steals per game and, you know, shooting 34% from three on good value per game, 5.8 attempts per game. But that's certainly the hope he's not there now, but long term he's a sophomore. Um, but he's not someone who's draftable this year, this year at least. Yeah, I do want to end with his biggest strength, though, which is getting on the free throw line. He's gone to the free throw line like 81 times this season, which is leading the University of Houston. And his free throw attempt rate is 43.5%. And that kind of surprised me because, again, watching a lot of University of Houston, I'm like, man, I don't. Rem- I remember Shed getting to the line a lot more than, than Sharp, to be perfectly honest. Do you have any comments on, on Sharp? Because being able to lead this squad with Cryer, who's a four-year player, with Shad, who's been there forever and handles the ball quite a bit with the big man Roberts, but it's, it's sharp. That's really kind of stepped forward and been the guy to generate free throw shots. You have any thoughts on that? It's certainly a feather has cast something you'll have to continue to generate. Let's look at him on the NBA level right now. I'm just not seeing that translating at this moment, at this moment and just really trying to find and carve out that role. I think where his skill set is, and the level that it is right now, there's not an NBA role for him right now. But you know who can teach him to get an NBA role is Jamal Shedd. Because Jamal Shedd, I know that like people kind of forget about him, I think, or other people kind of want to downplay him. But he's the one that I, I would really go to bat for. I know the counting stats and everything aren't that great. 11.7 points per game, 3.7 rebounds, 5.9 assists per game, 2.3 steals, 0.7 blocks per game. 49.7% from two-point range, 35.9% from three-point range, and then 73.3% from that free throw line. To me, Jamal Shedd does one of two things I want an NBA guard to do right now, and that's get to the rack and generate assists. Because that is one thing he consistently does, just attack, attack, attack. And he's finishing at the rim, 49 attempts so far at the rim for Jamal Shedd. He's nailed 39 of them, which is 79.6%. That is a really good percentage for a guard. And I know shooting's been a struggle for him throughout his career. I know that's the thing that a lot of people aren't going to believe in. But, I mean, he's gotten better every single year. The attempts have kind of hovered around 120, 140 these last few years. Right now, Jamal Shad is shooting 35.9% from three. If that maintains... And he's still a fantastic assist guy. He's had over 200 or more assists the last two seasons on pace to do that right now. I mean, last season, 200 assists, just 76 turnovers. The season before that, 221 assists, 76 turnovers. Right now, 117 assists to 40 turnovers. And Jamal Shedd is listed at six foot one, 190. He plays like twice his size, in my opinion, too, the way he gets in the paint. Also, the way that he plays defense and like really, really, really takes pride in like trying to choke people out, whoever he's trying to guard. All he has to do 
is maintain like 36% from three. And I think this is like a really good backup card for a long time in the NBA. Yeah, for Shed, it seems like he's been the heart and soul for that Houston team over the past few years. And that's something exactly what you want to see from that point guard spot. And you see him work well last year and the past few years with Marcus Sasser as well. So you see that he can play alongside another guard. The hope is that he can be a backup point guard. I'm not sure if he's going to be your primary backup or kind of a third guard. And as you said, the shooting, that's something that he has taken a leap in this year. That he's now at 35%, as you mentioned. This is a career high for him. Going up from a previous career high that he shot last year, 31%. So I think he's much more of a shot maker than shooter, obviously, at this point. I love him in the pick and roll, him being able to get to the pull-up game, get to the rim, and also distribute out there. can make some high-level passes out of that as well, too. For me, I think at the end of the day, is going to be, he's going to be someone that you're hoping that you can get into your system with the G League or where, however you want to do it. More likely than the G League for him to develop, be uh, that constant there for you, and eventually come up and take one of those reserve spots. I'm not quite sure at this moment if he's going to be someone that you really think about drafting. Maybe. Exhibition 10. Um, but right now, he's very much on uh, kind of wait and see mode. I'm not as high as him on as him on him as you are, particularly for him being a backup point guard, but I do see the eventual path there. Or at least can't see it. Yeah, and even though I'm high on him, I know it's still a tough sell. And like you said, this is probably somebody who's gonna be in the G League for a while because the shot, the shot is really gonna hold him back. This is somebody that NBA teams right now are not gonna guard. And it might take a while for him to even become a capable shooter, like you say. But everything else, you got to love the guy's aggressiveness, his commitment to defense. And like you said, he's the heart and soul of Houston. Every game you watch, he stands out in some way, shape or form. To me, that stuff means a lot. And if you're consistently driving one of the best teams in college basketball, then, yeah, I want you to be on my my squad or at least on my G League team. So anybody else in Houston before I move on to our next squad? No, I think we did a good job of covering the main guys there. So now we move on to the squad that I'm the most like, uh, well, one of the most, I'm like, I don't really know what to do with now. And that's Illinois. And that's compounded by the fact that TJ Shannon is not with the team right now. So they've really gone with Marcus Domash. They've had Quincy Garrier. They've had Coleman Hawkins. TJ's back. He's back now. No, TJ just came back. Mm-hmm. So there we go. We'll see if he sticks. What do you think of Illinois first and foremost? Um, I do like the prospects on there. I mean, we'll see what ultimately happens with TJ Shannon and if teams are to say he's undraftable um, and don't really want to touch him at all, uh, period, based on his situation. We'll see how that situation plays out for him in court and everything and the details that come from that. But I think he obviously is the number one prospect on that team. I thought he was making a strong case to solidify himself as a top 20 guy. Um, 
just strictly basketball, I think he is a top 20 guy, but he's going to obviously fall off of boards completely more than likely um, when he's factoring in the off the court. If, if that situation proves to be true, as we said, we'll wait and kind of see what happens there. Um, but outside of him, I think the, the one you want to really look at and who deserves the most to be talked about and has gotten the most attention and rightfully so is Coleman Hawkins. Is that where you would go as their next best prospect? Oh, yeah. But I also, he deserves it, but he also doesn't deserve it because he's been, I don't even want to say up and down. He's had so many years now where he starts off hot and then just, it's a fart in church the rest of the way. You look at the numbers at the end of the year and you're like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking at the beginning of the year? But also this season so far, he's not doing that. If you throw out the first four games of the season for Mr. Coleman Hawkins, do you have any idea what his numbers look like? I don't. That's a, that's a good question. What are they looking like? All right. So if I were to tell you right now, there's a guy that's six foot 10, 200 pounds, he can play power forward. He can play center. And his numbers are 14.1 points per game, six and a half rebounds per game, two and a half assists per game, 2.4 steals per game, 1.4 blocks per game. Shooting splits on that 14.1 points per game are 49.2% from two-point range, 39.4% from three on 5.5 attempts per game, and then 79.5% from the free throw line, which translates to a 58.3% shooting percentage what would you say about that guy what would you say his draft range is strictly off the numbers that sounds like a lot first rounder to me yeah i had that thought too but i remember in the preseason rafael barlow i forget who he was talking to but he's like the way i describe coleman hawkins is tantalizing he's got a tantalizing game I still can't shake that. I know the numbers are good and they do scream first rounder, like easy first rounder. Uh, how much should past performances like really be factored into this? And should we buy into it? Because this is great production. This is not just like eh, whatever the points are really good. He's really stepped up in TJ's absence. The three point numbers look absolutely fantastic, as do the steals and the blocks. Everything about this guy screams super good. Role player supremes, I like to call them, to where you're not only filling run role, you're able to do a bunch of different things. You may not be a shot creator, but you do so many different things on offense, on defense. You don't waste shots. You get a bunch of steals and blocks. You maintain the integrity of a defense, even if you have like one or two bad defenders. Like, I, I don't know what to do with Coleman Hawkins. And I really, but I, I want to celebrate the improvement, but I just can't shake the inconsistencies in the past. I think it's definitely fair to consider the whole body work. I mean, that's what, you know, what the job is here. I think honestly, at the end of the day, when you're trying to project for consider the whole body of work and recognize where he is, any prospect with the improvement um, that they have made, especially what he's doing as a shooter. For me, he's always looked like someone that can shoot, looks projectable. You like how fluid he is. He's confident. He's a shot maker out of out of him as well. And he shot under 30%, you know, the entire career at Illinois until this year, where he jumps out and he's 36% on just under five attempts per game. 
So you certainly like that. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I, I think he's a capable shooter. We'll see what type. I wouldn't draft him or draft him thinking that he's going to be this shooting weapon or a legitimate stretch big um, until he kind of really proves that. But I think he's someone that can hold some gravity because he's shown that he can and is able to hit open threes and do pick and pops and things of that nature. And I think, as you said, um, with Raphael Barlow, the tremendous job that he does. So shout out to him and, and his brother James as well. It is absolutely tantalizing. It's the modern big skill set, pass, dribble, shoot. Um, you see him working with DHOs, grabbing goals, all these sorts of fun things that you want to see and, and can utilize him um, as well as in. For me, I really am hoping that this is the Coleman Hawkins that we get to an extent on the NBA level. I know it will be scaled down. He's not going to have the ball in his hand nearly as much, but he can be a connected passer. We see him whip the ball around, skip, slide, dribbles, can do a lot of different things. There's some um, versatility with him in the pick and roll when he picks and pop and short roll as a passer, close out attack. Like you said, can do so many different things with him. I think it's going to be about how effective he is at the end of the day in a scaled down role, using those modern skills. Can he stretch the floor? close out attack, be a defensive playmaker. Um, obviously, I don't think he's going to get picked on or anything like that defensively, but he's not going to be a shutdown type of defender, so they're going to wall up post guys. But I do like him, what he can do with his length, his athleticism, his space, despite being kind of up, upright a lot. But I do believe that he is someone that's going to continue to gain interest and should have interest. And I think it's going to be kind of in that mid to late second round. Are you worried, as I am, that with TJ back, the numbers don't look as good? Not at all. And then really the only numbers I'm really looking for him is that three-point shot right now. Is that going to be legitimate weapon for him? And you know what type of level of shooter he is? I just want him to continue to be as consistent as he can. And really just cut down some of the wildness, which he has done a little bit this year. I think that was kind of a, a sore spot on his game to be so skilled, was a little bit wild was in, reckless with some of his passing. But at the end of the day, like he is playing this point big role, this point four or whatever you want to kind of call him. And that exactly won't be his primary function at the NBA level. I think ceiling wise, you would hope that is, but four-wise and kind of right-away functionality um, when it comes into the NBA, he's going to be sharing ball handling dudes, obviously. He's going to be a supplement to those type of things. So I think him getting less reps in, or at least less responsibility and less burden on him to do those things, I think that can go that can go um, both well for him and, and both well for his projection at the NBA level when it's kind of simplified for him a little bit. Yeah, I think the projection for him would be Maxi Kleba, where Maxi could defend the three and the four. And he really only moved to center when he like slowed down. But Kleba came into the NBA at 26 years old as well. He had like what, four or five good seasons in there. And he was a really good shooter as well for those those few seasons. So you have this multi-purpose defender who can rebound well, who can defend three and fours, who can shoot 
like, and then if Bowman can continue to pass like this, then that's something he has up on uh, Maxi Kleba. At the end of the day, even if Coleman Hawkins blows up the rest of the year, I think people probably still draft him in the second round, right? Because this is the one that people probably are worried one year wonder. This would be the only year where he scored double digit points. It'll be the only year where he shot over 29.2% from three. It'll be the only year where he shot over 68.4% from the free throw line. Like those things still have to be concerning. And there's plenty of one year wonders in the past that have burned people. So I think he's still played his way into the second round, at least even if the numbers are again, I don't want to downplay how great he's been and how well he's improved since the, after the first four games of the year. But like, you got to keep everything in mind. Like you said, you got to consider the whole body of work. So probably still in the second round, he's somebody that I'll be looking more into for the next big board and seeing if he does still fit in there too. And I think that's part of it is when you're putting together the big board for me, I threw him out. Like honestly, I threw him out and was like, I'll get back to these Illinois guys in like January, February. Because TJ was like that too. You know, and TJ I've thrown out for other reasons until the law, you know, determines what's going to happen. But he, he was like that too, where some years he just caught on fire and then fell off. And so, yeah, kudos to Coleman for getting his numbers up, but probably still second rounder, even if the numbers continue to be this good. Anybody else on this Illinois team you really want to go to bat for in terms of being a draft prospect and specifically a 2024 draft prospect? There's no one no 2024, but just long-term Ty Rogers, versatile wing, strong, um, good athlete, uh, potentially two-way wing guy there, six foot six, and then Amani Hansberry, freshman big. Seen him a lot here on the DMV area. And with him, just the power, he makes a power finesse that he has, good touch around the rim. The hope is that he can eventually stretch it out to three. Um, the three ball doesn't look terrible there, um, but right now it's not something you can bank on. But I love his energy. He'll get more playing time, sophomore year, next year and everything. Um, but certainly Rodgers and Hanbury are two guys. Sincere Harris, you can throw in there. Dre Gibbs, Longhorn, for his ability to shoot the ball. As well, despite being the smallest size, those are some long-term guys to keep an eye on. Yeah, and Ty Rogers, shout out Saginaw. I know he's from Saginaw, so got to show my Michigan people some love, man. So next is the team that I see every day, and that is our Arizona Wildcats. <sighs> I hope I don't get canceled for this. I think there's really only one guy, one and <laughs> a half guys on this squad. You can really, really? argue for for. NBA draft prospects this year. I know people really like Kylan Boswell. I don't see, I don't know why he's still getting first round buzz. Again, please, Tucson, go kick me out. Please help me to remain, keep my job here at the <laughs> University of Arizona. Uh, it's hard. I think long term, you know, Kylan, long term, and there are a couple guys on the squad long term, I think cool. But again, I think there's really only one and a half guys on this Arizona squad. To me, it starts with, you probably know who for this year, like you got to keep him in consideration and that would be who? Is it Caleb Love? 
So, like I just did with Coleman Hawkins, if you throw out the first five games of the season, or six games of the season, excuse me, if you throw out the first six games of the season, do you have any idea what Mr. Caleb Love is averaging, what his numbers look like? I would imagine somewhere in the high teens. So, throw out the first six games. In the remaining 14 games that we've played here at the University of Arizona, Caleb Love is scoring 21.9 points per game, pulling in 4.9 rebounds, dishing out 2.4 assists per game, one steal per game, 0.3 blocks, shooting splits for Caleb Love in these last 14 games. 55.2% from two-point range, 37.4% on 7.6 three-point attempts per game, and then 88.1% from the free throw line on 4.8 attempts per game, which translates to a 60.2% true shooting percentage. If he's averaging that across the entire season from game one, what is his range? Uh, just just if you're not going to throw in the rest of the body work, if it's just straight numbers-wise, that's someone that you're right. That, that's a first-round type of guy, of course, based on numbers. But obviously, we aren't evaluating strictly on just numbers. Even with that, if that was his numbers throughout the year, factoring what he, you know what he is, and just shout out for him for being much more efficient this year and a new place as well. So I think that is something that should be noted in NBA teams. Maybe I don't think it would be a moving type of um, factor in evaluations, but it's, it's certainly something that is notable and is hopeful for trying to project him at, at the next level. But I think certainly he's someone that will be considered in that second round. I think he's still more of an X-10 type of guy, but you're hoping that he can come in, be a bench spark as a shot maker, something that I'm always looking for um, through any position, but especially guards, just that kind of level and balance of and marriage of really of pure shooting and shot making. And I think Caleb Buzz has proven to be, obviously, the numbers-wise and then also with the eye test as well, with this array of tough shots that he can hit from step backs to pull-ups and just pull-backs, just everything that he really has in his game. And has no fear of getting into and really hasn't turned down too many shots um, that he or hasn't really seen a shot that he doesn't really like. Uh, for me, I, I just want to say for him, kudos for the increased efficiency. Teams definitely love that. And it's going to be about him continues to be continuing to be efficient being able to make shots, hit open threes, but the appeal for him really is going to be as a bench scorer. And, and I think that's worth looking at in that late second round, although exhibition 10 is kind of, I think, what's going to be ideal for him. I think somebody is going to see him and be like, damn Thomas. I'm not saying that's the selling point, but I think you can see it enough with the shot making and specifically on film. Every game that I watch here, I'm like, I don't know where this team would be without Caleb. It does not matter whether or not the shots are going in, the way teams defend him. And I mean, he got UNC to a title just on his heat check ability. I've always thought that was really impressive. And you really can't downplay that kind of skill. And that's something that you can't really measure. You can't really, it's hard to quantify. You just know when you see that kind of a guy. And that's why I say Cam Thomas, because I feel like Cam Thomas is that same way where you're like, when this guy gets hot, like nobody can stop him. And he just puts up a ton of points. But man, 
he will shoot you into as many games as he will shoot you out of. But like you said, Caleb's really worked on that efficiency. If you just break down his efficient or his uh, shooting numbers into in the areas, really the bad quote unquote percentage are all his above the break threes, left wing, right wing, top of the key. He's taken 124 of them and shooting 32.3%. You know, that's a low average. Nine of 19 from the corners, 47.4%. In the mid range, Caleb Love has shot 46.9%, 15 of 32. In the paint, Caleb Love has shot 18 of 44, 40.9%. That should be better, but that's still about average. But then at the rim, Caleb Love has shot 48 of 72, which is 66.7%. I mean, really, you've seen it too, 34.7% from three across the entire season. The three-point numbers just got to stay average, like 35% and up. And again, this is a guy that is going to be efficient. He can play either guard spot. Probably is more of a two than a one, like you said before, but career high and true shooting percentage right now. Three-point attempt rate always remains around like 50%. Right now, it's 49.3%. Able to get to the line enough. And again, the size, six foot four, 195. I think this is really what is going to sell him over a bunch of other guards that are like this is he still has size over those other guys. And then he's always been engaged on defense. You can't discount the UNC title run, which is strong on his back a lot. And then him and Kylan Boswell, like if they didn't shoot threes for this Arizona team, they probably wouldn't have any spacing. Caleb's taken 144 of them. Kylan's taken 100. After that, there is a severe drop off where Kashad Johnson's taken 51. Everybody else less than 51. So he's having to create a ton of threes. He's having to take a ton of contested threes. I also think weirdly like him and RJ Davis, like you see RJ just dominating since Caleb left. And then you see Caleb being able to score like this, not playing with RJ. To me, that that comes into play as like, oh, when he's removed from the other volume scoring guard, then he plays a lot better. If I don't have to play him alongside another guard like this, again, Cam Thomas, if I can just play him in the second unit and let him run buck wild, I want that guy on my bench. Yeah, I can certainly see teams want to get him at the G League level and kind of showing that he still can be efficient there and do his thing there too. It'll be interesting to see what teams will want to look at him in the second round and see, like you were saying, this is their microwave score who get hot, they can do a lot of different things for as, as far as scoring goes um, on, on multiple levels. So it will be interesting to see what happens with them there. Um, and the sell is for him being in that Cam Thomas mode. Although I, I just, Cam was just a professional score. It was just always something about him, of course, leading. I'd be an all-time leading scorer, old kill as well. And then coming in and, and don't, and then what he did on the collegiate level as well too. So I think there is just a little bit more of a professional score to um, Cam Thompson is for Caleb Love, but obviously it's the same type of role that you're looking for in the film, the team. You don't see either one of them really starting, but mostly the ideal role for them is to come off the bench being that microwave score and throwing the, like you said, heat check, go in and, and get us some buckets. And as we laid out last time with the big board, 
there's not a lot of guys like really stepping up and standing out. Caleb Love is one of those guys so that probably factors into it for some talent evaluators. Also, he falls into my category of guys that you don't have to fire up. You actually have to dial him back. So I always like those kinds of guys. And honestly, he doesn't take stupid shots. I know he's been inefficient, but I can't remember a time where I was like, don't take that. And it's like, well, his team's down all this and like they need a three, he took a three. He can be over aggressive, but I don't think he takes dumb shots. I don't know if you agree with that or not. I would definitely love to hear your take on it. Um, I would ca- I, the shot selection is still questionable to me. I will say that I want to say dumb shots, um, but I will say that it's still questionable. And I guess evaluation can kind of go from there where you want. I want to categorize them as dumb, but or I think the shot selection has gotten a bit better, but that is still a huge um, knock for him as well, too. And it kind of goes to being a microwave score and, uh, you know, a shot maker as opposed to more of a pure shooter. You're going to kind of take some questionable shots and need to be reined in a little bit with that. On the NBA level, when you do have some veterans there, um, he's not going to be taking as many of those type of shots. But then again, it depends depends on what the fit looks like, what type of uh, team he's on. So we'll see, but I do think the shot selection is still pretty questionable at the moment. Yeah, this will probably be a future thing to talk about, too, of like what's a dumb shot versus somebody who's over aggressive. <laughs> like this veers in the territory of Gilbert Arenas. I'm not saying Caleb Love is going to be Gilbert Arenas. Calm down, <laughs> everyone. Or like Jason Terry, where it becomes the I don't I hate the word irrational confidence. I think those guys, it's like, it's not irrational when you look at their percentages or like look at the history of what they've done. So I, I think it's something else again, like over aggression. Uh, I know in football, it's called like a double agent. A lot of people describe Brett Favre that way, you know, where it's like his aggression wins you a lot of games, but it also keeps you out of it. So something to put a pin in and come back later, dumb shot versus like being over aggressive. And what does that exactly mean? The rest of this squad, though, I really want to hear your take on it because, again, sorry, Tucson, but I'm not going to sell a lot of your guys for 2024. <laughs> and then quickly for a move in, uh, move off of Caleb Love, it would be remiss if don't mention him yesterday. On the road against Oregon, very high, 36 points, 5 of 8 from 3, and being really efficient, you know, 66% from the field, 12 of 18 from the field. So, that's what you want to see. I mean, obviously, that is on the high end of, you know, as a career game. But, you know, just goes right when we're talking about his overall year and being more efficient and, and being able to get hot. Um, so I would say Keyshawn Johnson is certainly someone to monitor as well to him being a senior. Built like an NBA player, six foot seven. Just a strong frame, super athlete as well, too. And him being able to take a step up as a shooter, shooting 37%. Um, this is a, a, a big step up for him, obviously, in the right direction. But with just with how, um, just how volatile shooting really can be, I'm not sure how real that is. But for me, it's a step in the right direction for him to be considered to be in the exhibition 10 type of guy. And he's also, of course, uh, as I mentioned, having the defensive tools, 
be able to switch guard multiple position and be a defensive playmaker as well. He's just under two stocks per game as well. The three and D roles, which you want to hope for for him, if the three part of that, of course, continues to solidify. If he can hit those open shots and continue to be a play finisher, what if that's off of drop-offs, running the floor, cuts and those type of things. Are you sold on him as well, on him at all as well, of him having an NBA future or at least someone that is going to be in the Exhibition 10 type of conversation? So I said there's like one and a half guys. He's the half. <laughs> I, yeah, I really like him. I really love his improvements. But again, the body of work, this is the only season where Kashad Johnson has shown any shooting ability. To be perfectly blunt, every season before this, he played four at San Diego State before this. Every season before this, he's barely taken one attempt from three per game. Last season was his career high, quote unquote, at 1.1 attempt per game. And his career high, quote unquote, is 33% on his sophomore year, where he took 21 total threes all year. And then from the free throw line, his career high, quote unquote, is 2.3 attempts per game. And his career high, quote unquote, from the free throw line is 64.8%. But this year, Kashad Johnson, 11.8 points per game. And then the shooting splits are 64.2% from two. 37.3% 37.3% from three, and then 77.8% from the free throw line. Again, I hate to, to do that, but the one-year wonder thing, again, has to come into play. If you saw more of a progression, this would be a much easier sell because everything else you really got to love about the guy. Six foot seven, 210 pounds. You said a multi-positional defender. I think he can guard anywhere from small forward to center, but it would depend on who the center is. If you go small ball centers, like I think he could guard like the Golden State death lineup, either big man spot there, something like that, because he really does have a strong base. He's a really good athlete, too. He can be a lob threat if somebody wanted to develop him that way. But the shooting, that 6-7, there's, I mean, what is Draymond that can play centers? Oh, it's an incredibly high bar at that size. But the defense is there. He he really does have to shoot and be like a good, at least good corner three guy that you can just stick out there. He's another guy that I'm like, I don't, I can't find a comp. I can't find a role for like his specific skill set, especially if you don't buy into the shot. And this is where you hurt the prospect more if you're just trying to be like, he's going to shoot. He's going to shoot because this is, uh, this is just like Coleman Hawkins where Everything before this scream, this guy can't shoot. There's something really wrong. And then the last year you buy into it. It's fine to sell all the rest of it, the defense, the athleticism, but the shooting, like you really would have to take a slow approach. And again, without the shot, I don't quite know what the sell is. I want to put him in my top 100. I really do. But it's really, really hard if he's not going to be a shooter that he's like the six foot seven big man probably want to be a lob threat but he's the other guy on uh, last thing he's the other guy on film to me and, and watching live that always stands out he does little things of being physical he does little things of boxing out spoiler alert balo has made me not like him anymore because he can't block shots like he just doesn't have that defensive presence down low without Kashad johnson i don't know that this defense would be any good 
And that's the one part that like I really can't get out of my mind. It's just the difference that he does make on defense, Keshad Johnson. Man, I, I really like him. I really want to sell him, but without a shot, I don't know. I don't know what he is. Yeah, it's going to come down to the shot with him. I think that's this point blank. He's going to have to shoot it well in workouts. But then obviously, again, that doesn't always translate to shooting well on the floor. So we'll see what happens with him. And then you mentioned Balo as well, too. Yeah, the defensive presence with him has kind of just gone down. If You know, if you're going to be, you know, where he is. Um, but is he is he seven feet, I believe? Or what's his exact measurements for for him? And list him as seven foot, 260. Yeah, so if you, that type of size with him and the regression. Um, Really with him, I love that, that he is on the glass. Like, he he will rebound those type of things. But if you're a seven-footer and there's not – you're not a real shot blocker or rim protector, you know, you're there at 24 minutes per game. And I like the steal, you know, showing the active hands and the length of things like that, but the shot blocking there, not even blocking the shot per game, you know, with that size and what his archetype should be. It's just not going to be too much interest there for him, unfortunately. And then I do want to touch on Colin Boswell because I do still like him, especially long-term. We'll see if he's going to be someone that's going to be draftable. But I do love his confidence. And of course, it's going to the end-all, be-all with him. is certainly going to be the shooting if he develops kind of a shooting specialist there. Although I do like potentially a 3 and D typish role for him as well. I do like the length, the strength that he has, you know, just a really stout frame at six foot two, which was a little bit taller, of course, but he's been able to shoot the ball pretty well combined with the shot making. He's just under 40%, 39% on five attempts per game. But I think the, the self for him is certainly the shooting and hopefully the three and D typish role for him to develop into. But certainly he's not someone that you're looking to draft, uh, at least in the first round right now. Yeah, real quick on Balo, you just hit the nail on the head. 0.7 blocks per game. Kashad Johnson is the Arizona Wildcats leader in shot blocks with 16 total. Balo's only block 14. That's a problem when you're that size. I also don't think he's going to be a pick and roll guy. I'm sorry. It just seems like that hasn't been anything that's ever been developed here. So, again, I'm sorry, Tucson. I'm sorry to diss on your guy, but I'm sure he'll have a fantastic career over in Europe on the low block because he's a big dude that can get buckets that way. Kylan, though, I think it would be a disservice to draft him this year. Other than shooting threes and playing defense, what does he bring to the table to get drafted next year? That would be my question to you. I'll say this. I think it's all that he needs. If you're going to play a three and D role, he doesn't. Not everyone has to be a lead guard, and that's totally fine as long as he's going to be okay with that. If he's going to be someone that's going to get after you defensively, going to compete there, um, as I mentioned, just a strong frame, um, good length. And if you're going to do that, you can fall into a 3 and D role. I think that's, that's a good look for him. If he can develop more on the playmaking side, that certainly raises what the ceiling is. But at the four, if you're going to be a capable defender, and a knockdown three-point shooter. I think that's enough for him. That's where I disagree. I think everybody's just going to run him off the line and let him just shoot there. 
35.3% from the mid-range for Kylan Boswell, 12 of 34. He's 30% in the paint, 6 of 20. And then 51.9% at the rim, 14 of 27. None of those are good. All that is cold. And it screams like I can't do anything inside the two-point arc. I mean, his two-point percentage right now for Kylan Boswell is 39.5% on 4.1 attempts per game. And then the, the passing is is good, but I don't know like how good it is. I can't really like get a gauge on it. 74 assists, the 36 turnovers. That's pretty good for a young guy. He did reclassify last year too. And I think that's something that Sam Vecini brought up maybe like over the summer that's stuck in my mind a lot is a lot of these point guards that reclassify if they come out too early, it kind of ruins them all. Why am I blanking on his name? Emmanuel Moody. And there are a couple different examples of like that. I just think Thailand's going to take a little bit more seasoning because again, the playmaking is kind of there, but I haven't really seen it in elite status. I do like the shooting and his defense. I'm not completely sold on his defense yet. I think he needs to get a little bit stronger per se. And like you laid out with um, some of the Houston guys, like if you're not that Javon Carter level of defender, it's really hard to sell being just that three-point shooter guy. And even somebody like a Javon Carter, it took a while. There were people that were ready to be like, see you later. But luckily he caught on with the Bucks and then has made a career out of it there. And then even somebody like GP3, who's a gigantic mega athlete, second generation, had his shooting struggles, but people still didn't want to buy into it and it took him a while. I just think Kyla needs another season or two to really iron out the, the two-point game and then get stronger on defense because everything else would be fine. And again, I think this is more a question of like timing rather than talent. Because again, throwing him right, right now and people mocking him into the first round. Again, I think there's too many holes in his game that everybody's going to be like, oh, that's that kid that can't shoot inside the two-point arc. Just run him off the line. And every team will do that. And as a first-rounder, if you're that limited, like it's going to come back to bite you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does continue to progress as a playmaker. And I think really next year, too, as you mentioned, um, you know, just with the fit in the team. So with Caleb Love being gone next year, he'll have an opportunity to play more of that league guard spot, or at least not share as much as, of those duties. And we'll see what he can do consistently as a facilitator be able to get the team organized and also him be able to play both a little bit more and pick and rolls. Um, so I'm, I'm do looking forward, like you said, talent. I don't think that is certainly the issue at, at all. So I'm looking forward to see what he can do next year and kind of how he close out the season. And then, of course, Arizona is going to be top four seed, it looks like. There's going to be lots of eyes on him in the NCAA tournament, too. So We'll see what happens if he has a, a couple of good games there and show some progression with a lot of these improvement areas as well, too, what that does to his stock. You're not going to Malachi Richardson, one of my guys, are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that won't sway people like too much one way or the other. But yeah, we would love to see Wildcats continue to go down the NCAA tournament all the way. Do you have any opinion on Pella Larson? Pella Larson, somebody I've seen sporadically mentioned in draft talk not so much last year but definitely this year any opinion on Pella Larson because he's 
difficult to evaluate, I think. Yeah, I'll, for him, I'll say um, kind of welcome back to at least uh, the semi-forefront of the NBA uh, draft radar because, like you said, he kind of fell off a little bit as well. It was a nice um, welcome back season for him as well. You know, being six foot five, six foot six in that range, I do believe he is a good shooter. I just want to see more volume. Uh, Firm shooting 45% on two point, from three on 2.3 attempts. Um, just want to see, like I said, more volume from there. I like what he can potentially do uh, in, in the G League, get him there, develop as a shooter. I'm not sure if there's really quite much else, but there's like some of the playmaking, at least the connective stuff that he does there. But I don't think there's anything that's quite high level enough for him to be that um, for someone to really be looking to draft him. What are you kind of your thoughts on him? Yeah, he's got to shoot more. I mean, every single season. I don't know what it is. If they're like, hey, if you get over 95 three point attempts in total on the year, we're going to like run over your dog or whatever. Like he just doesn't take that many. I don't get it either because this is a guy who's consistently over 80% from the free throw line. He shot 81.3% or better every single season. He's been in the NCAA, which is all four. He spent the first season at Utah and then the past three here in Tucson. But two and a half threes, that's the cap. Last season, two and a half threes per game. The season before that, two and a half threes per game. And then the season before that as a freshman, 2.2 threes per game. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand why he never takes more threes. He's also been on the bench, off the bench. This year, thankfully, he's been more stable. Two seasons ago, he was the Pac-12 sixth man of the year. He looked great. Then he last year, he started the first half of the season. He was terrible. He was shooting something like 20% from three. He looked awful. They moved him back to the bench, and he looked fantastic again. And then this year, again, thank God he's been okay. He started all 20 games, 57.4% from two, 45.7% from three, and then 82.4% from the free throw line. The rebounds look good, 4.1 rebounds per game. Like you said, the assists look good, three and a half per game versus just 1.7 turnovers. Like, I want to sell him as like a Josh Richardson type, but without being able to know if you can shoot more threes than that. I mean, that's just not that many threes, two and a half. And as I laid out before, Kashad Johnson shooting more threes than him. And that guy never shot threes before he came here. You've been in this program three years. I don't get it. I don't get it. I would like to upsell you. But again, as somebody who's been here the last three seasons, if I were a scout, an area scout, that would be the big caution on him. It's like, hey, I mean, I'm sure you can believe in him, but for whatever reason, he's never taken that many threes. And that would be something I would like basically grill him and the coaching staff on is like, why, 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 why? I don't get it. That's supposed to be your skill, right? Yeah, you would hope that would be the skill that he kind of hang his skill. He could hang his hat on. Um, and the volume is certainly not where you would hope it to be. And then just real quick on the defensive end for him, there's I don't think there's too much multi-positional versatility for him. I'm not quite sure where you want him defending. So that's certainly with this. I, can he defend some? Is it mostly two, three? Like it's, it's a little bit murky about where exactly he's certainly going to be defending off the ball. I do. He'll defend that. the slower wing. I'll just put it that way. 
Exactly. And then how much slower is that really on the NBA level, you know? So, you know, just think, you know, by comparison. So it's just tough to really feel comfortable about where he's going to do on the defensive end. Yeah. And then real quick before we move on, I do want to give my guy KJ Lewis some love. I do like him long term and attacking guard. He's got to get better as a shooter, though. He's only shooting 28 percent on 1.3 three point attempts per game. But everything else looks good for a freshman. Six point one. Points per game, 3.4 rebounds, 2.1 assists to just 0.8 turnovers. The totals on that for for, um, KJ are 42 assists to 15 turnovers. To me, that's one of the standout things of him as a freshman. Normally, you see freshmen that aren't the point guard turn the ball over like that. And I was uncertain of like, maybe he's not a point guard. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe if you just put shooters around him and let him attack, that can be a thing. And then KJ is 33 of 61 from two-point range, 54.1%. Again, I've just been a big fan of his ever since I've seen him play alongside um, Ron Holland there at Duncanville. Just remains aggressive. Again, another guy that I have to ask to dial back rather than fire up. He could rebound. He can block shots. He has 26 steals. He has eight blocks. I mean, he's just got to get the shooting come around. and then. He's a real player, legit first rounder next year. The other guy that I've always liked to, they just have not given a lot of minutes to is Filip Borovicinin, the tall Serbian kid. He is listed at six foot nine, 185 pounds. He can handle, he can shoot some. He's able to rebound. Go watch his FIBA U19 play this last season where he played with Serbia, where he was top three in assists. He was top three in rebounds. He was top three in scoring. He's a multi-positional guy that just hasn't found his way yet here in Arizona. And then last but not least, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Krivas, Montajus Krivas, who really has stepped up and been the guy that's been the biggest surprise this season. He really took Henry Vesar's job after Vesar got hurt. Vesar was somebody that had been on the radar. A lot of people thought he'd be the next good Arizona big here. Maybe he could stretch the floor, look like a pretty good shot blocker. But then Krivas came in this year. And he's been like the sixth man for the squad, good bucket getter at center position, mainly a you know low post kind of guy, 58.9% down low, doesn't take threes, but 76.6% from the free throw line. So do with that what you will. I know some people will be like, oh, maybe he's got touch to shoot out three. He hasn't taken any threes, so I'm not going to say that. 4.7 rebounds, 0.5 assists, 0.5 steals, and then you know what? He's averaging the same 0.7 blocks per game as Omar Balo. There's nice building blocks there. And again, he really has been a big surprise. So I'm excited to see what he'll look like Krivas next year with Nobalo. Can I just say, way to nail those pronunciations there. So I'll definitely give you your credit for doing that for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So moving on, our last teams are going to be a little bit more rapid fire Next is the bane of my existence being a Michigan alum, and that's Purdue. Uh, I know you you have one guy that you really turned me on to Purdue who unfortunately hasn't played a lot. So I don't know if you want to take the wheel and, and still make your sell on the nice freshman that I feel like Purdue should be playing more, but keeping real, I know whether or not. Yeah, Miles Colvin is, is a guy that I like coming in. Um to Purdue and then also on the overseas trip. I really like what he did as well. 
looks like he's going to be a more long-term guy. I thought he would play maybe just a little bit more this year. He's just under 10 minutes per game. I was hoping he can be in that low teens, 13, 14 points per game. But I think he's eventual two-way wing for them. I believe that he's going to be a projectable shooter. He's shooting at 42% from three this year so far. I mean, 40, and actually 42 attempts as well, too. So I think he's going to be someone that can be defensive playmaker, three and D, two-way wing. I thought he could also help them this year. Obviously, I know that they are on a Final Four type of trajectory and trying to get a lot of veterans and, and those that who've been in the system and, and are maybe a little bit more ready to play. But I think that there's things that he can do to help him now, but more think about long-term, him as a play finisher, he shows some juice as a shot creator as well, too. So I think, although I know Zach Eady is probably their best prospect at this moment, long-term, this may be Miles Colvin is the one that you want to buy the most stock in. Yeah, I agree. I mean, everything I learned about Miles Colvin, I learned from you. So I buy into everything that you're saying there. Again, everything checks out so far. If you haven't watched any high school tape on Miles Colvin, go watch him. I really did think they were going to integrate him more because they're lacking his athleticism, really. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know, like, everybody's Joe producing a bunch of slow white guys, whatever, right? <laughs> like, regardless of race, if they were all different races and they were all the same guy, they're all slow. And they don't have a standout athlete. I mean, just remember what Jaden Ivey looked like on Purdue. Anytime they get a guy like that, that's even half of a Jaden Ivey athlete. Like, my opinion is they should find a role and play him because that guy is going to be able to find space. He's going to be able to make cuts and do these other things, playing off all these other shooters and the big guy in Zach Eady. I don't like Zach Eady, to be perfectly blunt. I would probably, I've always had a hard time fitting him into a top 100. Again, not because of talent, but personal draft philosophy and like where the game has gone. There are a hundred more guys I would rather take a chance on than Zach Eady. Yeah, go ahead. Call me an idiot or whatever. And people are right. He's like a divisive prospect. I've seen recently some people rank him like in the first round as high as 19. And then there's other people like me, obviously, that are like, you know, I wouldn't rank him at all. Can you be a middleman and, and talk some sense into us? Well, I mean, first of all, Zach E, just to continue improvement year after year after year. And it has honestly come from improvement to really dominance the past two years on the collegiate level. So shout out for him as well. It's not just him being tall and big, you know, bigger than everyone else. He's shown some legitimate skill, touch around the rim, some pretty good footwork. On defensively, he's been a, a little bit more mobile the past couple of years. I think he's still someone who's going to be dropping. I can't see him doing uh, any switching. I don't think that's going to be wise at all. He hedges and covering that type of thing. Despite him being mobile, you know, he's mobile but not switchable. And I think it's going to come down to if an evaluator team, if you think that he's going to be a starting big man or if it's going to be a backup big, and then kind of break it down from that, if he's going to be a backup big, 
where do you value backup bigs at the end of the day? Is that going to be draftable? And then what are you looking for in your backup bigs? Is it someone, you know, of his elk and his archetype, the back to the basket, more of a traditional big man? And then also, even with him blocking 2.3 shots per game, is he more of a shot blocker than a rim protector? Can he anchor your team when he's out there defensively? And I, I think those are the type of questions that evaluators are going to have to answer to figure out where exactly he should be in this draft. And then ultimately, his fit on the floor. I do, um, like I said, I try to think about him in comparison with Donovan Klingon. I do like Klingon. I don't want to turn the conversation, you know, comparison versus them necessarily, but I do like keep those type of bigs in mind and where they are on my personal big board and just in general projects from others. And for him, I do like him offensively more than Klingon, but I don't like him as much defensively. What are kind of, I kind of maybe guess where you are <laughs> with Zach Eady right now, but what's the holdup for you with making them a thorn in the first round or draftable at all? Is it you aren't buying what he's producing as an offensive player or defender? I just don't see him as like pick and roll guy. He doesn't pass and then he doesn't shoot. I feel like you got to do one of those things. And then if you're not going to be able to defend in space, I just don't think he's going to be, like you said, an anchor. And I don't know what, if he's not like a starting big, it's clear he's a backup. I don't know what the projection is. If you're not a pick and roll guy, you can block some shots, but you're not really like a defensive difference maker. You can't really pass. Like in today's NBA, who is that guy? I've heard Boban thrown out there. I've heard Taco Fall thrown out there. I don't see that. Definitely don't see the Taco Fall one because Taco's main thing was being big. I don't think he quite had the scoring package that, that Edie does. Yeah, again, I, I just don't, I don't see it. I, I don't know what the, the sell is. For, I think what I'm looking at for him, he's going to block some shots at the end of the day because, you know, he is 7'4". I think he has been a better floor runner the past couple of years, especially this year. I think the hope is that you get him and he's a backup big. He's going to provide value as a rebounder. He's going to end possessions. He's going to get you extra possessions. He's going to be that guy, offensive rebounder. I think he's doing something ridiculous. He had five offensive rebounds per game, I believe, last time I checked. I think it was, I think it was last year, it was five and a half. So he's four this year. There's going to be someone, I know that number is not going to be what it is at, at the collegiate level, at the NBA level, but I think he's someone that can provide value as an offensive rebounder. And that's going to give you putback opportunities. But maybe even more importantly, I know he's not a passer, but a simple kick out off of those things. Those so some of the best time to shoot three. So I think he can offer some value there. But I'm not quite seeing first rounder right now. Maybe I can be talking to. I know when I do a deeper dive on him this year, I want to be more open. Um, because for some, he's... I think you should never kind of close the door on any prospect and kind of don't be pigeonholed, you know, to your opinion all the time. I think last year I'm, 
I made a mistake on Jaime Hawkins, and it had nothing to do with age. Age does not bother me at all, to be perfectly honest when it you know, comes to projecting and, you know, not giving or do giving guys a chance to being a senior. That that's, doesn't bother me at all. For me, it was I wasn't too sure about the shooting. But just kind of going back at the tape, I think I should have gave more credit for him as a shot maker and all the other things. I just, I recognize all the things he did with his IQ and some of the shot making, but I just think he'd be able to create some of the advantages that he is doing right now. But long story short, I say that to say that I don't want to close the door on someone, and I don't want to do that with Zach Eady here. I want to see more where he looks like when I do a deeper dive. But right now, I think he is a backup guy. We hope he can be a play finisher and kind of punish smaller matchups. But can he stay out on the floor? That's that's the big thing. Yeah, I just keep thinking, what does he look like on offense on an NBA floor? And I just kind of envision him standing around the paint. Am I off base to think that? No, I, I don't think so. And do you? Because the pick and roll stuff, they have a very good point guard in uh, Braden Smith there, who can work with them in the pick and roll. So I, I, I do want to see him more pick and roll. What does that look like? Can it be a finisher there? He's shown some pretty good touch. Can he do short roll and have a little push shot? Is there some more to really develop there? And then if you think there is, what is that worth taking? Um. But I can certainly see second rounds where I feel most comfortable with them right now. And like you're saying, you know, there's people with them in a lottery, top 20, those type of things. So it would be very, very interesting. And just shout out for him to continue, continuously improve his game. So I know not everybody does this, but I also think like the school and the scheme you come from, if there's a consistent like guys from this school, and this scheme don't work out in the NBA. To me, it factors into. Can you guess the last guy from Purdue who was like a regular NBA starter, difference maker? Oh my goodness! Wow. There's no, oh, there's no at least the recent there's no one that that comes to mind. Glenn Robinson. Oh yikes! Yeah, after that, ninety-five Clunanzo uh, Martin. Excuse me, I don't know that one. 2000 Brian Cardinal, 2007 Carl Landry, 2011 Etwan Moore, Juwan Johnson's also that year, Robbie Hummels, 2012, AJ Hammonds, 2016, um, Caleb Swanigan, rest in peace, 2017, uh, 2018's Vince Edwards, and then Carson Edwards is 2019. Um, who's the other big? Is he? I know he got drafted, but it's not here. Was it Travion Williams? So I remember. Like, yeah, that's the yeah. mm-hmm. other one. Like, I can't throw that out, especially the big guy in the Purdue thing when that many of them haven't worked out. And then Jaden Ivey, cross your fingers, Jaden Ivey, say your prayers, all that stuff. He's a different level athlete. And again, he's a totally different prospect than everybody else we just laid out there. That factors into it for me. It's like, man, there's been a long track record of, of Purdue guys that haven't worked. And not all those guys are from Matt Painter's system, too, also. But again, all the guys from Matt Painter's system haven't exactly set the NBA on fire. So, sorry, Zach Eady. Yeah, we'll see um, what happens with them. I think he's going to continue to dominate college basketball, and I don't expect him, and I think people aren't expecting him to develop any type of shooter. I know he usually 
when we talk about like these traditional back to the basket kind of old school bigs, you're like, all right, it's going to kind of depend on if you can stretch it out and do. That's not what it is going to be for Zach Eady. It's going to be about what he can do as an anchor on the defensive end. And if he can create offensive possessions, extra offensive possession, be a finisher on the offensive end for the team. So I think he's going to be one of the more polarizing, as you already said, polarizing figures in this draft. So uh, I'm looking forward to see how the cycle plays out for him. Any Fletcher lawyer, Braden Smith, uh, Lance Jones love? Definitely want to give some love to Braden Smith. I, I think he is a gutsy guard, like good shooter, tremendous passer. Can make so many different passes out of that pick and roll and, and is unafraid as well. It's just tough that he's, you know, six feet. If he was six two, uh, and I would love to really give him some more consideration as a potential backup guard just by the way that he can play pick and roll. And of course, um, Fletcher Lawyer, you know, the shooter. We'll see if um, there's anything else up to the NBA standards um, that's there with him. But obviously, the sell there is for him as a shooter. And back to just Smith real quick. If he was a little bit bigger, like I said, I, I would like him more there. But this is going to be a tough sell for both of them as legitimate NBA prospects. Yeah, I'm bringing Smith real quick. Really close to 3.3 to 1 assist turnover ratio. 146 assists to 53 turnovers, and then coupled that with the 42.6% from three. It's a nice package, but like I said, the athleticism is down. He's small. I mean, he's a small white guy, too. We keep it real here. Those guys are have things held against them, saying they're, they're slow little white guys. Those guys have trouble staying in the NBA. It is what it is. I'm sorry. That's just what happens. So the next team we have on the docket is the one that has been one of the more surprising ones for me anyway, is the Memphis Tigers. Shout out Penny Hardaway, currently 15 and four. They definitely have some NBA talent on there. Naquan Tomlin just transferred in. He's only played eight games. They also have maybe the guy that's having the most underrated season in all of college basketball and David Jones. Any of these guys you like on the 15 and four Memphis team who have knocked off quite a bit of guys too. I think they've caught a couple teams looking here early in the season. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought up David Jones. I I think certainly he is the top prospect to watch there for Memphis. Um, He's just really having an incredible year, year there so far. It certainly be someone that fits in hope the three and D role and has shown some ability to be able to be a self creator as well too. But I think the NBA role for him, three and D uh, wing, who does have some on ball creation, but he does a lot of the small things as well to get offensive rebounder, and is someone that teams can hope to fill a rotation spot. I wouldn't draft him right now, but I would love to see for him um, long term as someone that could potentially be a second-round pick. And if I'm not mistaken, what year What year is David Jones? Does he have a technically extra year? I thought he was a fifth-year guy. I can tell you here real quick. David Jones has been four years. So he's a four-year college player, so he probably does still have that COVID year since he was 21, 2020, 2021. 
at DePaul is where he started. So yeah, seems like he does have an extra year if he wanted it. Okay, if he, we'll see if he does or does not. But if he decides not to use it, I think he would be a excellent name for the Portsmouth Invitational for NBAIs to uh, for the additional NBAIs on him, especially in that setting. I think it's some somewhere where he could certainly shine and really play himself into that second round. He is what I like to call the Daryl Morey special, which is if you look at his shot chart, there's a lot of shots at the rim and a lot of shots from three and everything else in between is like, don't do those. So 37.6% from above the break threes. So that's left wing, right wing, top of the key, 35 of 93 from that area and three point range. And then 56 of 80 at shots at the rim, 70%, 32.4% in the mid range, 38.8% uh, in the paint. But I mean, you got to like that, that shot profile, the long threes he's hitting an above average rate. And David Jones is taking 6.3 three point attempts per game. So it's not like it's a low volume. And then at the rim, there are very few guys who are shooting that often at the rim that are shooting 70%, 80 shots is nothing to sneeze at, especially for anybody that that's not a center. And then to top it all off, David Jones is shooting 80.9% from the free throw line. And his three-point attempt rate is 46%. So he's got over 40% three-point attempt rate, over 40% free throw attempt rate. Did I just say those two things twice? Well, over 40% three-point attempt rate, over 40% free throw attempt rate. Uh, but 31.7% usage, you, you know, like he's not going to have that, that high percentage everywhere. But it's nice to see that he's putting up a ton of shots and being able to convert at a high rate. But he's another one. He's another one-year wonder guy. Exactly. Yep. You, you, I was about to say the same thing. Go ahead, because that one year from three. Yeah, I mean, last year, if you look at his numbers, thirteen point two points per game. But at St. John's, he was shooting thirty-nine point two percent from the entire field, twenty-nine point four percent from three. The year before that, uh, David Jones was at DePaul, and he shot twenty-nine point seven percent from three-point range. And then the year before that, his freshman season at DePaul, he shot 7.1% from three. But maybe, maybe, maybe this is the guy you can sell a little bit more as like progression year in and year out where the attempts go up. So it's like, okay, at least he's still at it. And then the free throw percentage really goes up from 60%, 69.2%, to 78.5%. And then right now, 80.9%. So that's something I think you could at least be like, well, this guy's worked on it. He didn't stop taking threes. If he was that bad of a three-point shooter, I'm sure those coaching staffs wouldn't let him keep shooting threes like that. But yeah, one-year wonder, guys. We've laid it out before. It's hard to sell. And for him, it probably is like, yeah, dude, take that extra fifth year. Exactly. It'll be interesting what he ends up doing. Maybe it's just, you know, I'm I'm getting older in there, and I'm kind of just going to be as good as it's going to be. And you want to kind of leave on a high note with your shooting. So we'll see how that goes. And um, is there anything you want to add on him? There's a couple other guys in Memphis that I, I think that makes sense to talk about. Now that's all I got on David Jones. Take it away. Naquan Tomlin, of course, the transfer in the midseason transfer into Memphis. I think there's a lot of similarities to what we talked about with Colin Hawkins and a lot of the 
modern tools. You're looking for a big pass dribble. Hopeful shoot big. I was a lot of you can. It looks good. The uh, shooting passes the eye test, but the numbers aren't quite there for him as a shooter. He has taken that Colin Hawkins type leap, but he's at 31% as a three point shooter on two attempts per game. Um, but the hope for him is that he can be a backup big with all different tools that he has, the movement skills. Um, where are you with him? Is he someone that's draftable for you right now? Or is he falling that kind of exhibition 10 range? I never liked him, to be honest. I thought he was all tools and like less skills. And then yeah. what happened at Kansas State to me is like, all right, man, you got to improve in a bunch of different ways, both on the court and off the court. So I think he just has to prove, number one, he can hold down a role. Because, again, I, I get the tools. I really do. But he doesn't do anything well. There's no one thing you can be like, oh, he does this really good. And then there's too many games where he like flashes a bunch of things. And then the next game he's sort of like, oh, I forgot he was even out there. So he's just got to mature a lot, both on the court and off the court, in my opinion. So Coleman Hawkins, certainly over Tomlin at this point. Oh, yeah. Like Tomlin isn't even in consideration for me. I I wouldn't rank him again, not because there's no talent. Just because I think it would be a disservice to him to expect him to come in to mm-hmm. fill a role and to do anything and even be a second round pick. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And then um, Caleb Mills, I feel like he deserves to be mentioned there as well. That's like kind of a long road, um, but he's a Florida State last year. He's had some good moments there at Florida State last year. And then so far there in Memphis too. I don't think there's a standout NBA skill for him. And I think it's kind of like the problem there with him. Any any thoughts on him? Yeah, I was trying to sell him last year at Florida State. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they had such a bad year. You couldn't sell anybody on that team. And then this year, he's just been lost in the shuffle in Memphis. I, I do feel bad for him. I did think he was skilled as like the shooter. Seemed like there was more playmaking that could be unlocked, but it just never happened. So unfortunately, I, I can't sell Caleb Mills. And 38.6%. From the entire field. This is bad. I agree. You're not ideal. And the, the kind of the last guy I wanted to touch on with Memphis long-term NBA prospect is Ashton Hardaway, son of Penny, of course. He's got no sick. love for Jaden, huh? <laughs> Still all oh, they got, got got love for them all, but I think how many kids does Penny have anyways? He got like three more coming in or what? I, I don't know. I don't know. But I wouldn't I would not be surprised that they're all going to be D1 basketball players if they are in that basketball route. Um, but with Ashton, I think the sell for him is simple. This is six, eight. I think more of a stretch four, um, as opposed to being kind of a, a, a true wing that you would really like right now. I'm still have to go a little bit more ways with this ball skills. But right now, I really like him as a stretch four, a very, very good shooter, confident shooter. And we'll see what happens with his development as well, too. And then also him continues to get his body right for the next level. Yeah, I like him a lot, too. And 6'8", 210, like you can do a bunch of different things there. If the ball handling does come around, like you said, you can keep him as a stretch four. If the ball handling does come around, then he's a big wing. So we'll see how the shot comes around. He's definitely not afraid of contact. And there's a lot to like with the tools and the athleticism. And I don't like talking about pedigree, but if you're into that, then obviously that's highest marks, right? Yep. Yep. No doubt. 
All right. Are you ready to talk about the final team on our teams that have questionable talent, draft talent for the 2024 NBA draft? Yes, let's do it. So I told Jam beforehand, like, you got to help me not to just straight up diss this team. We're talking about the 16 and four Wisconsin Badgers. Calm down, Wisconsin fans. You know, I'm a Michigan alum. It's not about that. It's more just about that they're a, this is a rock fight team, right? Wisconsin fans, you should be happy with that. I wish my Wolverines were a rock fight team. They're more of like a Nerf ball fight team right now. But they're, they're winning. They have great defense. They play well together as a team. But in terms of draft prospects, like guys do certain things well, but they just can't seem to put it all together. Probably no better example than that than their leading scorer, A.J. Storr. AJ Store is a transfer. I believe he played at St. John's last year. Yep. Uh, six foot six wing. And last season at St. John's, Mr. Store scored 8.8 points per game, 45.3% from two, 40.4% from three, and then 75% from the free throw lines. He's all like, oh, seems like a good, efficient wing. Comes over to Wisconsin. So far this season in 20 games, 15.9 points per game, three and a half rebounds, one assist, half a steal, 0.1 blocks, 50% from two-point range, 31.6% from three-point range, and then 84.3% from the free throw line. I like AJ Store, but if he can't shoot like that and he can't pass at all, then I think all those two-point numbers and free throw numbers are pretty much meaningless. Who in the NBA is like that where they're a wing? They don't pass. They don't shoot. All they do is score in the two-point arc and get to their free throw line. Is there anybody like that? Not anyone that jumps off the page that certainly comes to mind. And I, I think it's essentially what you alluded to with him. Like, he's going to have to find a way to just do more, especially from if he's not going to be able to project as a three-point shooter, you're going to have to be a better defender and have to be a better playmaker. I do like the NBA tools that he does have. It's six foot six, really strong frame. I guess continue to understand how to utilize that as well. Uh, I still like the last game that he had um, against Michigan State, 28 points. Hit a few different pull-ups, um, knocked down threes. Um, so I, I, there's stuff to like about him, especially as a shot maker. He's going to have to, like we said, bounce out what going on with three last year. He shot 40% from three, which was great. Like that looks, that looks pretty projectable after that first year, you know, and it's good volume. He showed, he shot 94 threes last year, shooting 40%. But then, you know, he's taking on a bigger role, more minutes, and that kind of drops down. So hopefully he's somewhere at least in between. There, we'll see how far, how high in between he is with that. Um, but when you go back and look at the freshman numbers, you can at least say, All right, there was something there from three on very good volume, and he showed that he can be a shot maker and a tough shot maker at that as well. And then when you look at project at, at the next level, it, like we just talked about at the beginning of it, is that going to be enough for him? Can he be an NBA level score? Is this someone's going to come off the bench? And that's when I also see him use his tools a little bit more defensively. Just that strong frame, the length, the athleticism. 
to be a better defender and a more impactful defender as a defensive playmaker, too. Now, I say all that to lay this out. The last 12 games, AJ Store, 17.7 points per game, 3.9 rebounds, still just one assist, 0.4 steals, 0.1 blocks, 52.4% from two-point range, 37.5% from three-point range on four attempts per game, and then 81.4% from the free throw line. This might be a pre-draft guy, and it might be somebody that, like, he has one or two fans in a front office, and especially what we've laid out, and so many people have laid out, not just us, that this is a wide-open draft that after, like, 15, 20, you can argue for anybody. If he continues those numbers, again, it's the last 12 games, especially 37.5% from three, he's maintained 80% from the free throw line, 84 per, 84.3% for the total on the year, and he's taken 83 attempts at the free throw line, so it's, it's not a small number. All the clues are there to buy into him as a shooter. Uh, the free throw percentage, right, he's taken four attempts in they're getting more and more as the season is wearing on. It was good last year. No, then the only thing holding him back is the passing, right? Because I think the defense is still fine. Wisconsin has been fine on defense. And he's the other guy other than Caleb Love out of this and Jamal Shedd out of this group of guys. So I'm like, every game I watch, there's something about him that like, you're like, okay, if he wasn't out here, I don't know how good this Wisconsin team would be. It's every time I watch this Wisconsin team, it's made me want to punch a hole through the wall because I'm like, if only Michigan had gotten AJ Store, they could be this team. I really do think that because I think AJ Store has made that big of a difference. So I think he's probably the, the one pre draft guy. He's a wing, the shooting's getting better, like the overall numbers aren't that great. He transferred in. He helped his team get better towards the top of their conference. I think all the things are there to have him sneak into round one. Again, I don't know that many people are going to go to bat for him amongst like draft Twitter and online, but I feel pretty confident that there's like one or two front office guys out there that are like, I hope nobody talks about AJ store right now. The tools are, are certainly there, as you said, and the shot making that we've seen and upside to be, you know, a two way wing, which is some of the most valuable archetypes and, and currency that there is in the NBA. And I fully expect for him to test the waters, give feedback, go through that whole um, draft process and get some good feedback. If he does return, he is probably a dark horse to be the Big Ten player of the year, at least in that conversation. So I think there's plenty of reasons and upside for him to come back. And of course, NIL is going to certainly be uh, of the utmost importance for a lot of guys in their decision. If he continues to average that like 17 and then four attempts, over four more attempts from three, 37% from three, what is his range at the end of the year? And this is a sophomore too. I don't know that we've said that enough. He's a sophomore. This is only his second year playing in the NBA. There are a lot of people making cases for upperclassmen because of the, quote, lack of talent in the underclass. Well, here's one guy stepping up. If 17 points, 37% are better from three on four attempts per game, how high could this guy go? I would say it depends on what the rest of the game looks like. Is there 
growth as a passer or we've seen that there is some potential upside there. And then as is he going to continue to be efficient from two as well, too? But I think at the end of the day, when you kind of factor and wrap the, all that together, there's certainly someone that you're looking at with those type of numbers and a late in the first round. Yeah, I think so, too, because when we look at the rest of this Wisconsin team, he's not getting a lot of help from three. The other guys shooting a lot of threes on this team are Max uh, Klesmit, 83s he's taken. He's their leader on Wisconsin at 80 total three-point attempts, 41.3%. So that's good. But after that, Chucky Hepburn, I do not know what happened. Chucky Hepburn, 65 three-point attempts in total, 27.7%. Uh, Connor Eskian, 42 total three-point attempts, 33%. And then after that, 35 three-point attempts or fewer. I mean, 35 three-point attempts in 20 games is really not a lot to provide any kind of gravity to pull guys off of you. But I think that's the other thing that factors into AJ Storr is like, man, this guy just hasn't had any space to operate. And he's figured out a way as the year's gone on to get better. And so... What about the rest of the field of this Wisconsin team? Is there anybody you would go to bat for here for consideration in the 2024 NBA draft? Unfortunately, I can't do it for the for this draft. Um, we'll see if anyone continues to step out. I think uh, Chucky is someone to continue to monitor. We'll see. I know he's kind of fallen off the draft radar this year. But just long term, obviously, someone to continue to monitor. And I think you also brought up a great point just about the spacing in general force, uh, just the whole Wisconsin team, but especially for store, what type of impact that can have. Um, so I think uh, that's a great point for you to bring up. You always want to kind of contextualize what's going on. So certainly the lack of spacing is, is going to lead to some bad shots. and. Not necessarily bad shots. I'll say just not ideal shots. We'll put it like that. And then just also, you know, things just being much more crowded for him. So just kind of thinking about what that could potentially look like on the NBA floor. There'll be more work. There'll be more space, more lanes for him to be able to create as a slasher. Another thing to consider defense. Do you know who the leading shot blocker is on this team? Is it him? It's nobody. <laughs> There's nobody on this team even averaging a block per game. The closest we have is Tyler Wall at 0.7 blocks per game. Uh, and then Crowell is next at 0.6 blocks per game. I mean, they're the only guys who've managed anything over two blocks per game. There's only two guys on this squad who have two over two blocks per game, like I, I don't know how they're uh, surviving in the Big Ten. It, it's just a miracle. And that coaching staff and AJ Store being able to, to get better and better as they go along. Great guard and that staff. Like, I don't know how they do it. Somehow they, they get guys like Crowell. They get guys like Wall who are just junk players. I mean, guys that right, they do all the dirty work and that don't look fancy. It looks like they piece their came together out of the scrapyard, but it works. And it's a style that they yep. found, you know, you can't fault them for that. But it is also like I laid out with the Purdue guys, like who's the last Wisconsin guy that really worked out in the NBA? That's the one that I'm like, I don't know that I have an answer. 
And I probably would have to go to basketball reference to really look at that. Can you um, go Frank Kaminsky? Is, is he an acceptable answer? I think so. There we go. There's one. I think he's, <laughs> I mean, if you play in the NBA that long, then mm-hmm. yeah, you're somebody that works out. He made a second contract, right? He made some money. I believe so. Yeah. So that, that one works. Um, but AJ Store is kind of like the Jaden Ivey example too, of like, well, he's a different type of player than they normally put in that system, a different athlete. So that's why he needs to be in there. So if nothing else from the Wisconsin guys, AJ Store should get more first round consideration, especially if he keeps up the shooting and he just keeps leading Wisconsin all these wins. So Jam, is there anybody else, anything else we missed? Any other team you want to highlight on this? questionable NBA draft talent amongst the ranked teams in the NCAA basketball. No, I, I think we've uh, covered a great deal. All right. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for being here with us. Jim, let everybody know where they can find you, where they can find all your work before we get out of here. Find all my work at uh, Draft Digest and also on Twitter at Jam on the Boards. And uh, RIP to my co-host, Andy, and his Detroit Lions. Sorry, buddy. Niners won again in a nail-biter of a game. So I was stressing out all that first half. I'm sure the Lion fans, all my Detroit people were stressing out in the second half of that game. So go Niners. Hopefully they can bring in another title home. Please, please, please just take down the Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Detroit fans, but it was, a, it was a hell of a year, hell of a game. For y'all, and I think that team will certainly be back for a long time. Yeah, and speaking of, as a Niner fan who's seen everything from Joe Montana to Chip Kelly and everything in between, I think Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell are the reason to remain, you know, optimistic and that things are going to be fine for a while. As long as those two are there, I mean, Brad Holmes' ability to get talent and, and turn that around so fast speaks volumes. So give Brad Holmes a raise. I think this incredible in all sports. Just showing how incredibly important uh, the GM is, you know, president of basketball or football operation of the situation is um, of putting together a team, getting a coach, getting the players. You know, I think that's a very underrated aspect um, that doesn't get enough coverage. You know, I think it will be time for you when you hear about GM, president of basketball operations, making eight, nine, ten million dollars kind of. Maybe not the exact type of amount of the coaches are making, but I think I can. There's we can certainly see in the next few years with those type of guys making a lot more money comparable to coaches. Yeah, amen to that. Brad Holmes, one of the best already. If only there were a Brad Holmes for the Detroit Pistons, but alas, Troy like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Troy. I'm sorry, Troy. But I mean, when you're heading the worst team maybe in basketball history. I mean, you got to take the L, man. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, We will catch you next time. We're going to.